I'm going to pray this now. I'm going to pray this out of my um, devotional book. And it comes from the scripture found in Isaiah 48, 17. And it says, I am the Lord thy God, which teaches thee to profit, which leadeth thee. I like that praise. O God, our Father of all the families of the earth, thou art worthy of our daily love and constant gratitude. Thou knowest we can never be other than children crying to thee for food, remnant, and shelter, for our sustenance and protection. We stretch our hands toward thee to be led through paths we cannot know, besides which temptations lurk and snare are set. Deliver us, we beseech thee, from the evil one. Help us to appreciate our earthly family relations, established and wondrous blessed by thee. Grant that our home may be kept in peace and goodwill among all of its members by that love for one another which casts out suspicion and fear. We consecrate it with all its interest to thy care and service, that the yearning of our hearts for thy approval and indwelling may bring to us godliness with contentment. Today in our family worship, we confess our sins that he who is faithful may forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we go forth to our individual tasks, give us courage, strength, patience, and that wisdom which cometh down from above, which is first gentle, peaceable, easily to be entreated, full of good works. All of these blessings we ask in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And Father, I ask you to continue to show me the things you want me to see. So when I speak, Master, it will be only those things you want me to say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm getting back into our series in Timothy. So we're actually in uh, second, second Timothy. And what I'm going to do, because it's really so interesting, I, I'm, I'm going to read the historical background concerning this particular book. Now, I got my title from reading the historical background, and the title is Keep On Keeping On. And 2 Timothy chapter 1, prayerfully, we're going to do all 10 verses, which is considered as part one. Okay. Out of the historical setting, it says 2 Timothy is the latest of the Pauline letters. As such, it is of special interest, not only because of what it reveals concerning the last days of Paul's life, but also because of what it reveals about his recipient. Paul was free from his house arrest in Rome in the spring of AD 63 and traveled to Macedonia. And you find that in Philippians 2, 24 and, um, and Philemon verse 22. Across the Adiatic um, Adriatic Sea, visiting Philippi, Ephesus, Colossae, and Laodicea. The great Roman fire occurred in AD 64. Paul possibly went to Spain, probably by sea in AD 64 and 65. In the summer of 66, he returned to Ephesus in Asia Minor and left Timothy in charge. In the summer of 67, he wrote Timothy from Macedonia and probably visited Philippi and Corinth. He went on to Crete and left Titus there. He wrote Titus from Ephesus in the autumn of A.D. 67. 
Now, this is really, really important as we get into the study of this chapter. So try to hold on to some of this data. Visited in Miletus, Troas, Corinth, and spent some time at Nicopolis. He was imprisoned again in the spring of 68. Having been free about five years, he may have been arrested in Corinth because of an accusation made by Alexander. Paul was tried by the city perfect in prison and sent to Rome, where he was placed in a dungeon cell of the Mamertine prison, from which he knew he would never be set free. Can you imagine that you know, you know you're never going to get out of this? His only contact with the outside world was a hole about 18 inches square in the ceiling of his cell. Through that opening passed everything that came to him and from the apostle, including his second letter to Timothy. In the fall of or winter of A.D. 67, now he was beheaded in Rome in May of June 68. The last words of people are particularly treasured by their loved ones. In 2 Timothy, we have the last known words to flow from the apostle's pen in a very real way. This epistle represents Paul's last will and testament. If ever there was a time to set the record straight, it was then. If Paul were going to make any complaints, he would have to make them then for he was at the end of his life. However, in this letter, there is not one word of apology, explanation, caution, or complaint. He was not concerned about, his, about himself. He was more concerned about the people he was going to be leaving behind. Paul used his last letter to deliver five exhortations to his son in the faith which in summary tell Timothy to keep on keeping on, just as he had told him all along. Amen. Chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, I didn't call myself. The Lord called me. It wasn't a board of directors of an established church. It was the Lord himself called me to this mission. He says, to Timothy, my de dearly beloved son. We know beloved son by in the spirit, not in the natural. Which what we don't understand is that What's done in the spirit is greater than what's in the natural. So the natural blood cannot supersede or is greater than the spiritual blood. So though we may have relatives, oh, perfect example, mother and daughter by the natural. But what supersedes that is your relationship sister in Christ by the blood of Jesus. Glory, hallelujah, because that relationship will never end. But the one natural is going to end when we leave this earth. That's why it's more important that we get the message of the gospel to our family members than it is to, to keep them in our good graces. Where they're not upset with you. 
like their being upset with you is going to alter your destiny. <laughs> okay. So anyway, uh, he says to Timothy, my dear beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from the God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers or as did my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee and my prayers night and day. That is commendable. He's the one who's doing a lot of suffering and, and being put in prison and, and persecuted. But his prayers has been about the labors of the gospel night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. Knowing that, you know, Timothy and the rest of them are grieved over what's going on with Paul and also facing some, um, 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 what can I say, facing the battles of Judaizers and, and, and naysayers and whatever as they are operating and running the church. Okay, but he says, I'm filled with joy when I call to remembrance the unfeigned or the genuine faith that is in thee. That brings you all the joy in the world to see that your uh, co-laborers and your sheep are operating in genuine faith. Amen which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also, you, 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 oh, help me, Holy Ghost. Wherefore <laughs> I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting or the laying on of my hands. For God have not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Now, what we need to see the picture here with, with, um, with like verses 5 through uh, 6, preferably, is, is, is that Paul met Timothy when Timothy was at a service, obviously, and got saved under the preaching of Paul. And Paul was moved immediately by the honesty and the commitment he saw from this young believer in Christ to put him to work for Christ because the Lord obviously showed him what Timothy's purpose was. And he trusted and believed his commitment to the Lord, not his commitment to Paul. Because if you're not committed to the Lord, you can't commit to the under shepherds that he put before you. See, don't worry about committing to a person. Commit to the Lord. And when you do so, you will automatically commit to the things that he put before you to govern you, to lead you, guide you, or whatever. Amen? So that is, that is so awesome. So immediately, Timothy gets to work for Christ. And he grows in it. So Paul, which is a true apostle, was constantly um, counseling, training, teaching Paul in the way of how to handle a church and believers. Amen? 
Because if you don't have a heart for the Lord to do what you've been called to do, you're not going to be able to do it well. That's why we don't need to focus on the gift and the office, but focus on the one who gives it. Amen. So, okay. Um, Paul had four purposes in writing this letter to Timothy. One was to exhort Timothy, Timothy and his ministry at Ephesus. And, and those churches in Asia Minor, especially Corinth and Ephesus, was full of lasciviousness as well as idol worshiping. Isn't that interesting that he will be giving Timothy such a strong assignment? But his faith in Christ allowed that to happen. Amen. Second, to warn Timothy of trouble both inside and outside of the church. <laughs> I think it's harder to deal with the trouble and the mess that goes on inside of the church than it is outside of the church because you come here for a refuge. <laughs> you don't want to face them same kind of demons. Okay. <laughs> uh, third, to request Timothy to come to Rome to visit him in prison and bring certain personal effects to him. And, and I'm sure <clears throat> Timothy's presence was giving him some form of comfort in his time of trouble and turmoil. Just to see his beloved spiritual son, I, I know it had to just, oh God, it just made me want to cry to think about it. Fourth, to instruct all the churches in Timothy's territory. So while he's in prison, his concern is not about about what's going to happen to him. His concern is all about the church. Are they prepared? Are they ready? Okay. <laughs> Glory. Hallelujah, Jesus. So, okay. Um, uh, again, I'm going to pick up the reading at eight because we're left off for he, as he is exhorting Timothy and he's reminding him that God has not given you a spirit of fear with Timothy being young uh, chronologically and spiritually, but being put in a position of leadership like that. You know, you got some of those naysayers that come in who think that they know everything because they may have even had greater education than Timothy. But you know what? Um, uh, I, I, and I was reading about how the Lord didn't use those people who uh, back in those days who were highly educated and had all of the degrees behind their name. He didn't use those. It was the ones who were not educated that he was able to educate spiritually and the rest will just come. Amen. And see, we, we focus on how many degrees a person has behind their names <laughs> to determine their qualification. And that doesn't qualify you to serve God. And sometimes you ain't even qualified to do what you specialized in. <laughs> because it's head knowledge. And, and what was your purpose for, for going into that? So he's stirring up Timothy's faith in not to let fear overpower him and to recognize that it doesn't come from your Lord. Okay, I think I wrote something. I don't have to go back and forth um, because we realize that in verses one through eight, what Paul is doing 
is exhorting Timothy, which helps to build him up, give him the courage and, 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 and power. But um, let me see. I wrote something down here for seven. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, he is reminding him about how God has not given him that spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Because remember, the two forces that are on the earth is the force of power and authority that comes from our Father and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then the one that comes from Satan. So all open doors will offer you two choices. Either one, to walk by faith, two, or to be controlled and frozen by fear. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. And that, 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 <laughs> that is so wonderful because you know what? When, when, we, when, when we start to have hard times, people in the church... Because the ones outside of the church that don't even think that deep about it. Trying to figure out, well, what have you done wrong to cause this to come upon you? They are the worst. Okay? So he's telling them, don't let anybody make you ashamed of the work that you're doing for the Lord that's causing you to be in prison outside of the prison doors. Okay? Or for my being in prison because... It is all for the goodness of God and it's for the service unto, unto the Lord. They never, you know, that's a false belief to think that nothing but good is always going to follow you and always going to flow in your life because you are a born again lover of Jesus Christ. It's just the contrary. Okay. And so when you hear those kinds of remarks, you know it's coming from the spirit of darkness. It's coming from saying, well, oh, I thought she was all such and such and such. Well, why is that happening? Okay. Or he, you know, oh, please grow up in the faith. <laughs> so he says, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Be partakers of of the affliction. You want to go down. It is better to be known for suffering for Christ than by shame of Christ of those who proclaim him. It's among those who proclaim him, it is better to be known for suffering for Christ rather than to be shame of Christ. Amen? Because Whatever we are doing here on this side of heaven on earth is not going to benefit you if it's not for the Lord after here. So all the superficial, all the other natural things that we deem that are so important, like what we have accomplished, how we look, and all of these kinds of things will not last they go, and most of them go before you actually go. <laughs> so don't even worry about it. It's what we do for the Lord is going to last and is also going to determine where you will spend eternity because our souls will continue to live on. You do not want to be suffering in hell because of momentary pleasures. 
And we're supposed to be preparing for the time to come, not for what's happening here. What, what we do on earth now is to prepare us for the future of eternity. But we live now like this is it. And so when I'm dead, I'm gone. Well, that body, yeah, it's gone, but your soul, your spirit lives on. And, and so what do you have planned for that? To suffer and torment? I'm telling you, I may have said this before, but I had an open vision concerning hell. The torment was the thing that was blowing my mind. I couldn't, I'm like, oh my God, I couldn't handle just the torment. Not, they say you burn or any of that. It was like, there was a torment, like the torment that he allowed me to see. It's like, you're suffering, you're being tormented. And then you there a look like a reprieve will come that's going to stop it but immediately it starts back again can i don't i don't know if i can explain it but can you can you imagine that when you think you're on the brink of getting some relief and immediately it pulls you back again and it was going on and on and on i'm like lord why'd you show me this <laughs> so i for me to know don't straddle the fence. <laughs> Go all the way over and tell others so that they don't straddle the fence. Don't straddle the fence. You're either going to serve God or you're serving Satan. Don't think, well, I serve him on these days and I try to do this and I try to do every breath you take. Every moment should be serving God, not planning to serve God at a specific time or day. We need to come up out of ourselves and die to ourselves so Christ can live in us and through us. Amen. Now, um, I want to talk about apostle, the definition of an apostle. And I brought my Bible dictionary so we can read this because... We need to have a, a clearer understanding about these offices that are that are that are in the church. And and everybody needs to have a clear understanding concerning the offices in the church, because people have put themselves or allow themselves to be put in some positions. And let me tell you, it's serving God in an office, in a position, there's comes great responsibility. OK, and, and it is not for you to be exhorted in those positions and people treating you like how we should be treating Jesus, bottom line, because there's no human being that is living that should be treated so royally above that they lose their sense of being. Because we help them to operate in pride and arrogance when we treat them as such. Do you realize that? So, that was interesting. <laughs> because I don't think I've found too much concerning apostles. That is, that's true. <laughs> okay, um, let's go over to pastor, because really there, there was hardly anything in here for apostle, which confirms my belief for some time, there is no need. The church was formed. 
And what apostles do, which is just another form of a pastor, is to encourage pre preachers and pastors of churches and to inform people, to educate them. Not, it's not a title that you wear that makes you higher and better, nor are you uh, building, building the church. The church has already been built. You may be uh, erecting some buildings and preparing people to take those buildings over, but you're not discovering anything. So I'm going to read to you what it says about pastors. I'm going to, pastors, bishops, and we're going to talk about teachers. We need to talk about these positions and give honor where honor is due. Okay. So it says here for pastors, it says the common translation of the Greek noun, poeming, poeming, I guess I'm pronouncing this correct. And it is a, a verb form. So that means it's a working position, okay? And also the Hebrew raha, literally a shepherd or one who keeps animals. <laughs> this is why Jesus likened us as sheep, okay? All right, and it says, um, but use figuratively of those called by God to feed and care for his people who are his flock. Whose people? God's people. God's flock. And pastors are called to feed God's people and God's flock. We're acting under shepherds, but don't own people. Just like how the United States don't own us. So they have no right, just as a pastor, have no right telling you what you better do. And if you don't, the consequences that you're going to pay from them if you don't do it. Are y'all with me? Okay. It says, much instructions directed towards such church leaders can be found in the pastoral epistles which would be in uh, uh, Timothy and Titus, okay? The idea is applied to and fulfilled in Christ. So in other words, there's nothing that we can do on our own and within us. It has to be done in Christ, amen? Now, um, it says pastors or shepherds appear, appears to depict aspects or functions of the responsibility of the overseer which overseer and elder and bishop is the same as pastors, where the two are put together in Christ. So it is important that you are totally connected with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you are in prayer a lot because he orders and directs our steps as to what to do and how to do be through the power of prayer and in tune to hearing his voice because in him he is going to tell you and direct you as to what and who to do what amen so it is important that people in offices and leadership position keep their eyes on Christ 
and stay connected in their relationship with him, seeking him all the time to, di be, to direct and to order because otherwise you will be out of order. You cannot do it in the flesh. Amen. Okay, so now um, let's go over to talk about Bishop. This is meant to be informative. Uh, so I hope you don't get bored because you can't shout and woo and ah. <laughs> okay, so Bishop is in terms that comes from the Greek noun apostasis which occurs five times in the New Testament. Overseer, more accurately identify the function of the office holder than does the term bishop. It's an overseer, okay? It's not someone who sits on the throne with a robe on, starting with the Catholic Church. And when the Catholic Church was discovered and found and in um, the New Testament of the Bible through Paul, the, the word Catholic meant universal. So it says that um, in ancient Greek literature, Episcopals is used. Oh, that's probably where they came up with the Episcopal Church. It's used of the gods who watch over persons or objects committed to their patronage. When referring to people, this term can likewise refer to one's protective care over someone or something, but can be used also as an official title. Most commonly, the term is applied to local officials of societies or clubs, but is found also as a title for religious leaders. <laughs> okay, I hope y'all ain't getting bored with this because it's kind of funny to me. See, now y'all know how I feel about the, that word religion, okay? There's many uses of that term, but one is used of Jesus where he is called the shepherd or overseer of our souls. The other four uses refers to office holders and predominantly Gentile congregations. Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders to guard the flock since the Holy Spirit has made them overseers to shepherd the church of God. Paul addresses the bishops and deacons. The qualification for the office of bishop are given in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, which we had already studied that. Although little is said concerning the duty of the bishop, one of the requirements that distinguish a bishop from a deacon was the bishop's responsibility to teach. Okay, and it's used interchangeably with elder. It is likely that these two terms denote the same office in the New Testament uh, with pastor and teacher. <laughs> okay, so uh, for example, in Acts 20, Paul summons the Ephesian elders, then stated that God had made them overseers to shepherd the church of God. Similar, Titus is instructed to appoint elders in every town. But when Paul gave the needed qualification, he said, for a bishop, bishop must be, yet the fact that uh, are used interchangeably, it is not the only evidence that the two terms denote the same office. Amen. <laughs> it is not until the second century A.D. in the epistle 
Ignatius that a distinction is made between the bishop and the elders. At first, the bishop was simply the leader of the elders, but soon gained more power and became sole head of the church, distinct from elders. This is where we start getting into Catholicism. Later, the bishop ruled, but not only one congregation, but all the churches in a particular city or region. Today, the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox churches, Angelicans, Methodists, and Lutherans use bishops who have oversight over multiple churches, which all of those other denominations were on um, a break from Catholicism. Okay, so that's where we come up with the term um, bishops, but it is not necessary, I don't believe, regular traditional or non-traditional church. Okay, now, okay, let's get back to the scriptures in Timothy. When, when um, Paul is talking to Timothy about that he knows that his faith was built up from his grandmother and, and from his mother um, because his father was Greek and he was an unbeliever, okay? So he was built up by his grandmother and his mother. The greatest gift parents and grandparents can give to their children is the heritage of genuine faith and is the only lasting and rewarding heritage there is. It will guarantee eternal life with our Father which art in heaven. You know, we put all of our credence in who they're going to marry, what their occupation and their career is going to be, and where they live. What's the best university for them to attend? Do you know that all of that will just automatically fall in line when we put all of our credence in bringing them up in a spiritual heritage. God says, seek ye first my kingdom and righteousness. Then everything else that you need will be added unto you. Let me tell you, you can have all of those things, but do not have spiritual wisdom. You don't have sense enough to know how to use them and how to hold on to them. They will not benefit you even here on earth. There's just be, be some stuff you have gathered. But when you put God first, when you get those things, they will benefit you and will profit you more. But we put the cart before the, before the horse. And we need to focus on their spiritual. And it doesn't end when you have grandchildren and great-grandchildren, it's a continuous impartation. But when we raise our children like we should and impart that in them, they have no problems when grandparents and great-grandparents intervene. Actually, mine will say, uh, call your grandson or call your granddaughter and talk to them. Maybe they'll hear you. You know what I'm saying? Be because I didn't wait as soon as I became born again and discovered what a blessing and what a, a loss of life I had up to that point. I immediately started evangelizing my children. 
I did what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't stop with just having them to pray and invite Jesus into their hearts. It was a constant discipling, constantly talking, sharing, saying, look at this, read this, so on and so on, so that they can grow into the things of Christ and pass it down to their generation and so on and so on and so on. Now, you know, I know they bought, well, you know, grandma, you know, mama. Well, I don't care. I want to go down in history knowing, well, you know what mama would have said, you know what grandma used to say, because they're like, you know what she's going to say. Well, yeah, right. Let that just be my conversation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Anyhow, <laughs> let me ask this question. If you were at the threshold of eternity, looking back over your life, would you be able to see if your faith lies and others make special be especially known among your family members as well as your friends? Would you be able to see your faith living in them? That's what we need need to ask. Okay, because more is caught than taught. Amen. You got to walk out what you believe and not have it undercover for special days. It is who you are, no matter where you go, what you do, who you are among. This is who you are. I do not want to be known. But it really, really blessed me when my little cousin, although we're all old now, but in New York, when she um, really got saved, because we all were brought up in church, so she probably thought she was saved. But when she really got saved by me ministering to her and listening to the podcast and, and, and coming on Zoom and stuff, when she said that uh, I am so thankful and, 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 and grateful to be able to have you as a cousin, but can I call you mother? Because both of our, you know, our parents are dead. And what she mean is that I'm seeing you in a different light. Because when, when we were younger, she used to always say, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. So I was happy to tell her, I am so glad that now when you say that, I am proud and happy. But I did not want you to be like me before Christ. Okay, because she thought I had it going on. In the world sense, yeah. But in Christ, I was, was going to go to hell. <laughs> okay. So it was such an honor to hear that now than to hear it when I was out there in, 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 in the world. So, and, and plus, the blessing is that God gave me the opportunity to get it right and to turn that around. Where she no longer saw me in the natural, in a sinful way trying to be like me, but now she see me in a different light. It gave me an opportunity to correct my wrong and set a new standard before her. Amen. Now passes on to her children who are really grown, but she'll say, you know what cousin Lois said? So she passes it on and now they have respect for me, even though they haven't seen me since they were young. Because it's not a put on. 
It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not for show. It's life. It's life. And whatever you take on and practice in Christ, it, when it becomes your life, you can't hide it. You can't sham that. And then it's not on and off. Amen. Now reflected on verses 6 and 7 again. Fear usually enters in when a person focuses on his or her situation and abilities rather than on God's sovereignty and attributes. Stop looking at what you think you can do. And look at what God is doing through you because those he call, he equips. He doesn't call the so-called equipped. So I don't care how old you are, what your appearance is, uh, how much education. Nothing trumps what God does for you when he calls you and he equips you. If you keep your focus on the higher ground, you will reach it. But as long as you get your focus on you and how you feel, what you can do, what you think, you're going down destruction. Put it on the Lord. Amen. When you put your trust and your confidence in the Lord, you will discover how wonderful it feels to be on fire for God. Committed to God. How much peace and joy you're going to have by serving him and his people. It is life. And how grieved you become when you see God's people straying away from learning and serving the Lord. It will grieve your spirit. It also grieves your spirit when you see how they are suffering when their life can be changed by the hand of God because they don't know. Amen. And they have allowed Satan to direct them and order them in a spirit of darkness and ignorance. Spiritual growth is handicapped when we forsake ourselves in the fellowship and assembly of God's people. There is nowhere in the Bible that consents to that type of fellowship. Lone Ranger at home, and I'm just waiting to get myself together. There's nothing in the Bible that says that's okay. First of all, when he tells us about our tithes, he says, bring your tithes. Don't mail them in. Don't send them in. You don't ever show up. He's, he, all through the Bible, is talking about having interaction, fellowship with other believers. That's what challenges your growth. Being at home by yourself, you are deceived. Because you have no one to talk to but yourself. So that is a narrow-minded, limited view of thinking. No matter how intelligent you may be or you think you are. When you can weigh things and balance it with other people who God will use will cause you to grow. But because we have a tendency 
because we were born in selfishness to only think about how things are going to be appeasing, pleasing, and feeling good to me. You may have to suffer for someone else to be blessed. But if you want to be comfortable all the time, you cannot ever be uncomfortable. You can't serve God. There are times that you're going to have to come up out of yourself in order to do something for someone else in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus, as our teacher, only sought to be alone when he was struggling. This is as a human, when he was struggling and needed to pray. And it was only when he was having a hard time and he needed to seek God. And when he did, he asked the, uh, the other apostles to pray for him as he go into his private place to seek God. Okay. And most times we, we are going to be praying alone and we need to have our, our personal prayer closet time uh, where we're seeking God. But corporate prayer is a must. And it is, should be happening often and constantly. And it's stressed in the Bible as such. You know, so many people have been deceived with the traditional kind of teaching of, of people who didn't, didn't know any better that prayer is always just private. It's always just, just private and quiet. And that's a lie from, from the pit of hell. That's what Satan wants you to believe because you know why? Because you will end up powerless. And he, and he also don't want you to recognize the authority that you can have. So as long as you are just, only time you pray is just, you know, by yourself and, and, and you, you, there's no sound, uh, then he's happy. Why? Because there has to be a sound to get to heaven. And when the sound gets to heaven, the heaven's gates open up and pour you out a blessing you don't have room enough to have. Okay? Also, God wants you to hear. Why would he have us to pray and tell us how to pray and then we keep our mouth shut? He's given us the formula that will cause us to be blessed and to achieve. And when you don't speak, it says, faith cometh, faith cometh, faith cometh by hearing. Hearing what? The word of God. This is why you pray the word, and the more you hear it, the greater your faith come. And then, because faith is sprinkled all over it, when it goes out into the universe, Satan can't do anything with it, but God and his angels can manifest it and have it to operate where it needs to operate. So he needs to hear us with a loud voice, with a sound like a trumpet from heaven. To pierce darkness. Darkness is not moved by your little. Darkness is not moved by that. So darkness just keeps on operating. Do you want to be made whole? So then if I'm having a health challenge, then I'm going to cry out to God. The words of the Bible that tells me that I can be made whole. I'm having a relational problem. Same thing, anything that we have 
to face and deal with in life, there is a word in here that you can quote. What is going to do is build up your faith concerning it. Number one, first and foremost. Secondly, as your faith elevates, you have a boldness now and a courage and a stand of faith that now defeats the enemy from having his way with you. And then thirdly, the Bible tells us in Psalms 92, the angels are being discharged by the word of God. So if the word of God is not coming out of your mouth when you're praying and when you're speaking, the angels are on unemployed and can't work on your behalf. When they hear the word of God spoken, then they get busy. So since you don't speak it, they don't act on your accord at, at all, ever. God's word can be manifested in the things that you're standing and believing for. Do you think it's just going to happen because you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? No! Sometimes he has mercy on us. But you got to work. You got to do something. You got to speak. You can't just be sitting around doing nothing but complaining. Verses 8 through 10. Let's read these again. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Are you so ashamed that you can't open your mouth? You're, you're, you don't feel faithful and good enough before the Lord to make a sound do you want to, you think being cool is more important than you crying out to the Lord? And he's not, let me tell you, the Bible says faith moves him, not fear. Fear don't cause God to get on, your, get on board for you. It's your faith that moves him. So when you cry out, you're crying out faith statements, not fear. Fearful statements, nor of his prison, but he be, but be thou partakers of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. The afflictions of the God for the gospel's sake, not afflictions by you making bad decisions and, and wrong choices. Afflictions for the gospel's sake. See, a lot of the stuff that we endure are the result of decisions of life that we have made choices that we have made okay but the afflictions he's talking about here is when you are afflicted for the gospel's sake he have saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works so you're not called based on how much or how what you do good for Christ you were called to do a work you need to get in tune to what the work he's called you to do because your good works it's not the thing that's going to qualify you and get you where you need to go, but it's the fact that you are in tune to God's purpose for your life and you're doing that, not just working to be busy, to appear like you are a good saint. He ain't calling for saints who appear to be good, but for saints who are good. Amen. Stop wasting your time, your energy, doing stuff to impress First of all, we can't impress God with nothing but faith. Second of all, these humans that you're trying to impress don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. So get over it. 
who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. In other words, before you were even formed in your mother's womb, you had a purpose that God gave you. Are you in tune to that purpose? But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who have abolished death and have brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, in order for you to have life the way God intended us to have life and to excel and do well, you got to know Jesus and do it through him. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Because God saved us for the purpose of furthering the gospel. And the gospel can only be furthered by speaking the gospel truth and living it out yourself. Not at times, but being conscious of this life that we have in him all the time. Not when you think you're being noticed or looked upon. Actually, it should be more in the privacy of your life. Stop sitting around perpetrating and pretending like you're holy and you're doing things when in fact you ain't doing nothing. But the truth is the light. And we are free by his truths. And we need to stop lying to ourselves. Because when you are pretending to impress other people, you're lying to you, not to them. Do you know most times people can see through the facade? They, 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 they see the under, underneath the mess. So you haven't even accomplished your goal. But even if you did, what good is it going to do you? Because God already knows the motive of your heart. He already knows the truth when you're sitting up there perpetrating and lying and pretending and moving now because somebody comes around. God already knows what was in your mind and in your heart, whether it was nothing or it was dark blackness. Father, we come before you with repented hearts. As you open up your word and reveal some things to us and allow us to do soul searching so we can know the inner thoughts that are not pleasing unto you. They actually grieve your spirit. Forgive us for not receiving the truth and having to hear it over and over and over again. What is wrong with us when we don't receive your truth, but we keep living that lie. Help us to recognize and denounce it, repent from it. We no longer want to be unsaved Christians or church folks, but we want to be known as true believers in Jesus Christ, who was convicted by the gospel of Christ. So God, we thank you that your grace is operating to give us opportunity after opportunity. And there are new mercies today to allow us to turn from our wicked ways and turn to you so that you can cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness dress us up 
in your fruit and then send us out again. Thank you for your undying love. Thank you for your faithfulness. We don't be faithful to you, but you are always faithful to us and you're always with us. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves the way you see us so that we can be satisfied with who we are and only work to impress you with our love for you, not for the works that we do. Thank you for delivering us all from selfishness, disloyalty, and the lack of understanding of what true love is all about. To think and read about what Jesus did when he walked on the earth as a real lover because he loved our souls enough to die for them. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.